Hi friends, thank you so much for tuning in to Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. We have an interview for you today, and I wanted to point out before we start that this was recorded a couple of days ago. The information is changing so incredibly quickly that even two days can make some of the information a little bit stale, but I think that the perspectives that we discuss are universal, even though you'll notice that there's some things in here that we do have updates on now that we didn't know when this was recorded. This podcast is for the planet and the United States, not just for Gunnison, Colorado, but I wanted to talk specifically about Gunnison, Colorado. It makes a nice case study. Here's the reason. Gunnison has a high percentage of cases compared to the national average. Gunnison is a small town that parallels a lot of other small communities around the nation. By discussing what's going on here, we're actually discussing what's going on in communities around the globe as well. Before we jump into the interview, there are a few headlines we should probably touch on. First, the United States has now overcome all other nations in total number of cases. But keep in mind, the United States is the third most populous country on the planet. And if you divide the number of cases that we have by the number of people that live here, it's still a very, very small number. Roughly one out of every 4,000 people in the United States does test positive for the virus. Keep in mind, the vast majority of those cases are going to be quite mild and will not require any sort of medical intervention. We're going to see a lot more people get sick before this turns around and everyone starts getting well again. But do your part, people. Practice the social distancing. Don't take any risks that might spread the virus to a more susceptible population. It's probably important also to note that nearly half of the cases in the United States are in New York. New York is really hurting people. Send them some love. And if you are in New York, then be extra, extra careful. As usual, my source for the numbers are worldometers.info. The following is from the Associated Press. The $2.2 trillion virus relief bill has been held up in the House on a last-minute snag. The deal did pass the Senate unanimously. However, the House is looking for a quorum to make a vote. Nancy Pelosi is saying there are things that weren't put into the bill that needed to be. Lawmakers who were away from Washington are scrambling to get back so that they can vote on the bill. A few of the provisions in the bill are $1,200 per adult making up to $75,000 or $2,400 to a married couple making up to $150,000 with $500 payments per child. Unemployment insurance would be more generous with $600 per week tacked onto regular state jobless payments through the end of July. States and local governments would receive $150 billion in supplemental funding to help them provide basic and emergency services during the crisis. $454 billion for guaranteed subsidized loans to larger industries. $150 billion devoted to the health care system, including $100 billion for grants to hospitals and other health care providers that may be buckling under the strain of the COVID-19 caseload. There is an employee retention tax credit that's estimated to provide $50 billion to companies that retain employees on payroll and would cover 50% of workers' paychecks up to $10,000. There is also a provision that would allow companies to defer payment of the 6.2% Social Security payroll tax. The total of this stimulus package actually comes to about half of what the normal United States federal budget is. So this is a huge effort on the part of lawmakers to assure that the economy doesn't grind to a halt, that we can chug through this crisis. I applaud the fact that we're doing what we can. 
but I also know that the devil's going to be in the details long term. We'll have to see how these things turn out. Now on to today's interview. Today we have a guest with us, Chris Osnes. He is a Gunnison resident who's been here a long time. He's active in the Gunnison community. He's also the owner of a local outdoor shoe and clothing store called Treads and Threads. And he's here today to visit about the local economic impacts of coronavirus in Gunnison. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, man, I'm glad you could join us. In the uh, show over the last week or so, we've talked about the potential economic impacts. And, you know, Gunnison responded to the coronavirus outbreak early and with a vengeance. <laughs> I think that um, the health department here may have been one of the more conservative um, health departments. We had one of the strongest reactions in the nation initially. And as a result, it kind of makes Gunnison into an interesting case study for the rest of the nation and even the world on, on what can happen in, in what short period of time. So I'm really curious to hear from you how you feel like um, these extreme social distancing measures, frankly, we're, we're pretty much locked down here in Gunnison County, um, what that is doing to the local economy. From a retail standpoint, um, obviously, I can speak mostly about myself um, and our experience, but also from talking to neighbors and things in up, up Valley and Down Valley, just talking to people about what's going on with their businesses. The very first thing I had to do as soon as this order came out um, that we were to close our retail stores except for using curbside or online sales, I immediately had to let all of my staff go, which is nine uh, employees, five of which are full-time. So that was a really hard thing to do right out of the gate. Um, so that's going to impact a lot of people as it trickles down from then, because if they're not getting an income, then they're tr having trouble paying their mortgages and rent and buying food and all the things that go along with just not having income. The Colorado unemployment has been it's a long process and it only is paying about 50% of what normal salaries are. So that's one issue that's um, really heavy on my heart with this whole thing. Since we've gone to curbside and people are trying to stay at social distancing, which I think is working, but we're down about 90% off of our normal sales. Wow. So I'm not going to dive into the individual personal budgetary constraints of your business, but if we could speak generally about what it's like to be a single owner operator of a business in a small town. I think your insights would be uh, really, really helpful. So you already mentioned nine people, and so these people are now looking for unemployment. Do you have a story that you've already shared with them on what you hope the outcome will be? I did have them all apply for job attached, so I am planning on hiring all of them back once we can figure this out. And once we get open, um, but, you know, obviously we don't know what the future holds due to the fact that we are such a tourism driven business. And if people are still scared or unable to travel this summer, it really is going to change the entire out um, scope of what Gunnison County looks like going forward. Mm. Your business is a, is a successful business in town and it's somewhat unique. And then there are not a lot of shops like yours, right? So how does it vary from business type to business type? You mentioned some businesses that aren't even being allowed to do curbside service. Yeah, um, I'm part of a, a subgroup um, that's for retailers and service industries. The people in the service industries like hair salons and nail places, tattoo, those kind of places have all been 
told they have to shut their doors because they can't serve anyone without touching them or being with them. Uh, one of the guys yesterday as a, uh, said he was thinking about taking out his front window and um, getting plexiglass and drilling holes through the window so that people could put their fingers through and just get their manicure still. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty ingenious. If, uh, if that would be a violation or not, we weren't sure. But I thought that was a pretty ingenious way of trying to come around a, a situation. Um, so those businesses are completely closed and they have no generated incomes because uh, there's not a way to do that online or anything. So they're completely shut down. And so they're really frustrated right now with what do they do for their own li- livelihoods at the same time? Mm. Yeah. And so uh, and then there's other people that they don't really have the staff or they just don't have that ability to be here every day. You know, some business owners in this town have two jobs um, just to make ends meet. They have a separate job or they do a consulting business or they do other things just to be able to make ends meet. And so they can't be at their business every day and they rely on an employee to be here. But if they don't have enough income to pay an employee, then it's kind of a hard deal. Um, Being the single owner of my store, um, I can I can come here every day and I'm not necessarily taking an income myself, but I'm not also not having to rely on a check that I have to pay to someone that is relying on it. Um, luckily uh, for myself, I'm, I have three jobs actually. And so I do some consulting business on the side. And so, and I'm also a pastor here in town. So I have a little bit of income that will get me enough to pay my mortgage. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's the story of most businesses in this town. We all are just barely eking along and this is not helping the situation. Yeah, I can't imagine how hard it might be. I, I don't have a good feel for it, but do you have some sort of a feel for how long the average business in a small community like this could survive with essentially their doors locked, right? How long could this go on as it is right now before they're just going to have to call it quits? I guess it would depend on if they want to go after more debt or if they wanted, um, if they're just going off of their reserves. I would say if they were living off their reserves that they have tucked away for a rainy day, they've already used that most of this spring because spring is so slow in Gunnison. We're all waiting to get to, to Memorial Day and then we'll have, and then the rest of the year is strong. And so we've already been tapping into those things. Um, you know, and so without taking out a, the stimulus loans or getting some uh, grants from organizations they're a part of, without any outside money other than what they have, most businesses won't make it 30 days. Mm, wow, that's not a very big window. No. We don't know how long this type of lockdown is going to be necessary. What we do know is that Boy, we're getting projections from a lot of medical groups and doctors saying that if we want to do this right, we need to stay with current um, practices for weeks to months to many months even. So 30 days doesn't give us much of a window. Yeah, no, it's, you know, this went into effect, I believe, the um, 16th of March. And so by the tax period on the 15th of of April for... um, payroll taxes, which hopefully some of those will be um, delayed. They're not, they're not forgiven. So we still have to pay it, even though they, a lot of these programs are, you still pay them later or you get more debt by taking out uh, the loans and different things to be able to, to pay things forward. I think that's about the window. I know um, at one point there was a business in town that only had uh, 10 days of cash. Um, That's as long as they could make it before they were going to be having to either 
shut down or find an outside uh, investor or try and you know mortgage their house or something to the other fact to, to try and uh, keep their business afloat. Mm. I don't want to create alarm where there shouldn't be any, but I think sometimes it's worth ex- kind of exploring potential outcomes because then maybe we can prepare better. But I was just thinking about the Christmas tsunami, you know, that hit many years ago now and how it wiped out family-owned businesses on the shorelines around Indonesia and various places. And that was a huge tragedy. Uh, That area has rebuilt, and people would say it's vibrant and alive again. The problem is that it was international large businesses that came in and bought out the small business owners that couldn't make it anymore and then built the international high-rises. So there was a whole group of local people that lost their ability to compete in the business world like they had prior to the tragedy. I'm concerned a little bit about that kind of a transition in the United States and other places where family-owned small businesses may not be able to weather it, and large, more international-style corporations might might have to fill in the gaps. What are your thoughts about that? I think that's a that's a real possibility. I don't know. I think that would hit Crested Butte a lot more than Gunnison, in my opinion. I think there's going to be a lot more concept shops, um, name specific, you know, big brand um, shops that could be going in, especially at the mountain, but also maybe even on Elk Avenue, um, which is a transition that happens with a lot of the ski resort towns like that but uh, since we're down valley um, and we're more of a supply town as they would call it in the old mining days I think there'll be some turnover for sure I think there's some businesses that will not make it and uh, that's unfortunate and I think there's others that will thrive through it Um, it won't be easy I, I know that for us if I stay on top of everything every single day and I work out things with the people that I do owe bills to and different things, I will probably be able to make it through the the whole th- situation and um, be better for it. Mm. It makes us think harder and makes us check our desire. And, you know, and if you don't have the desire to stay in business, this is a great excuse to get out. No, no doubt. And I think, I think some people will use that. Unfortunately, I looked in the mirror and said, I'm too resilient. It's been 21 years of business and I don't feel like I'm going to not have celebrate my 22nd anniversary in June. Um, so I think we'll celebrate that one. I think, and for many more years after that, and I, I do look at the fact that I will bring back all of my staff. So I'm very optimistic through it all. I also think if we, if we continue to lock people up, they're going to want to travel even more this summer if they are not affected by the income loss. The hard part is, is people who have salaries and can work at home, um, they're not feeling the effects that the hourly employee across the nation is feeling. Oh, certainly. Yeah, correct.
Well, let's talk about the government bailout stimulus package a little bit. I, we're still waiting to hear what the details are. And, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, you know how it goes in Congress, trying right. to figure out what kind of pork they can attach to it and who's going to get helped and who's not going to get helped and why and how. But what's your read on that so far? Is there going to be something in there for you and for businesses like yours? Yeah, there is. Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion um, that, you know, they don't know what it looks like exactly. Um, I started to fill out my uh, request for an SBA loan um, under the economic impact um, loan, um, which is a very low interest loan. It's 3.75%. But I mean, still, even with doing that, that's going to that could be a burden that could still put people out of business, even at that low of a level. Um, I started last night. I was about two questions away from being done and they shut down the site again. So I'm oh. eager for it to come back up. It's not up as of this moment, at least the last time I did it, but people in the subgroup I'm a part of yesterday said they did get it, um, get done with their uh, process and got it filed. And it's about four to six weeks to receive money is what we've heard. So those people that are 30 days, they're going to have to go out and promise people that, hey, in another two weeks, I'll be able to pay you kind of a thing. You know, so it's it's tough that we have to wait and say, hey, I have a loan coming. You know, I, ju- I just don't know the status of it. So that's one. And then another thing I heard, but I'm not sure that it's true or not because of, again, it's details. It's all speculation at this point. But they've talked about possibly doing, if you don't lay off your employees, that they would like to try and do a two months worth of payroll and a little bit of overhead loans from the government. And if you keep those employees employed that entire two months, then the loan could possibly be forgiven. So that would be actually more beneficial than taking out more debt. Mm. At times like these, I keep saying over and over again on this show that extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. I'm I'm a little concerned about the the sheer volume and size of the stimulus package that they're putting together. It may it may be that that's the only choice we have right now, but I'm yeah. concerned about the long-term economic impacts of that package over the next decade or so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, those are numbers that I can't even fathom uh, when they start talking about it and the putting out checks to everybody. I, I just can't even wrap my brain around it. I, I, I'm self-taught in my business, so my my paradigm of money is the amount of sales I do in a year. I don't have anything beyond that, so uh, it's really hard for me to to understand and try and figure out how that, if it needs to be paid back, or how do they do that. You know, I've listened to a lot of people on the news, which is probably a bad thing at some times, but the assistant director of the treasury in 2008 that did the bailout for the recession said that we're on the right track. And the more we can uh, put a, a flood of money into the system, the, the better and quicker we'll return. The way they handled it in 2008, it took 10 years to bring the unemployment level back to where it was in 2008. Right. So we don't want that to be a lingering thing either, because we know um, when people don't have income, they can't spend anything. And so it, it stops the, uh, the economic wheel from turning. Well, in 2008, I do recall most of the big bailout money went to big business, commercial banks, things like that. And the trickle-down impacts were very slow in reaching the people that, in a lot of ways, were hit the hardest. But if they can reverse that and somehow give the majority of the people that are kind of at the bottom of that pyramid enough money that they can continue to spend money, then that keeps businesses in a good cash flow. And if the businesses have good cash flow, then they can keep their employees. And it seems to me that just keeps the whole engine turning. So hopefully that'll be where we end up. You know, my fingers are crossed. Yeah. 
And I do like the fact from some of the other things I've read and who knows how it's going to actually come out at the end, but they talked about, you know, possibly $1,200 per person, as long as they made $75,000 or less a year. So, you know, the, it is going to the people who need it more than if, you know, you have a, a millionaire who's, you know, he's just trading online and doing his own thing. He's not actually, you know, he doesn't necessarily need that $1,200 is not going to change his life right. where it could change somebody um, in a lower uh, tax bracket. So I, I like that it's weighted toward the people who don't make as much. Um, you know, I hope it still comes out that way um, because I think money needs to be put in the hands of those that need it the most. Mm. Let's give a quick update on Gunnison's numbers and then we can visit about how you think people are responding to this. I'm opening this up on my internet right now. So Gunnison is not a huge population. The county has about 17,000 people. And uh, when I look at the numbers from Gunnison every day, you know, I'm not sure it represents a microcosm of the world. I do know that they're very real to us right here in Gunnison, Colorado. We have 53 positive cases as of today in Gunnison County. And the good news is 57 people that have been tested came negative. That's beautiful. More people still are testing negative if they even qualify for testing. They're testing negative than positive. Uh, We have had one death in the county. And I'm just curious what you're hearing around town. What are people saying about these numbers? And what do you think the general reactions are? Yeah, I think you summed it up when you said if they can even get tested. Because of looking at the, the numbers and things, there's over 850, I think, that are self-quarantined um, as of last night that did not get tested. So, I mean, that's a huge number. And then also in that uh, same report that the county put out, they said that uh, we are um, per 100K, which we don't have 100K here, but we would rank, we would be at 233 cases and the state is only at 16 per 100K. And I think that's why everybody is looking at us to say, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Gunnison County is a tourist destination hotspot, and so I think the virus got here earlier than people knew because of the international travel into Gunnison. And so that's it's one of the reasons why, uh, per capita, the illness is a little bit more pronounced here than it is other places in the nation. Luckily, we're not New York. <laughs> I thought, you yeah. know, I think we need to send some prayers out for our, our friends in New York. They're having a really hard go of it right now. I don't get a sense of panic in Gunnison. I, I get a sense of concern and people wanting to do the right thing. Is that what your read is too? Yeah. We've always been a community, I think, that helps each other out. And we understand that we're doing the best thing we can for for the community and for those that could be in harm's way. And, and you know, the thing is, is we're also a very resilient people. So we also sometimes could be stubborn to our own fault that we go, ah, I just have a cold. It's not a big deal. And then we're transmitting it everywhere because we're not paying attention to some of this social distancing and things we should be doing. Certainly. You've been visiting with various business owners around town. And I'm curious what kind of ideas are coming out of those discussions. People are probably brainstorming, trying to sort out how best to recover and survive this impact. Any innovative ideas that you could share? Uh, you know, one one idea that came up uh, yesterday that I thought was interesting was 
trying to figure out a way to screen customers so that um, those businesses like the, especially the service ones that do, you know, hair tattoo, that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with those people. It's not a mass uh, relationship. So trying to figure out a way to screen the individual that, you know, have they been around anybody? Have they, you know, do they have a fever? Do they have a, the sniffles, whatever? And determining if that is somebody that you could work on um, and practice your own, you know, preventative care. I mean, even with tattoo, I mean, they're always wearing gloves and doing all the things there anyway. Add the fact that you could add a face shield uh, to the people who are doing the manicures and pedicures or cutting hair or whatever, so that um, there could still be some commerce that's happening in those places. The same thing in retail. Um, I have a, I've had quite a few people say, I really want to buy some new spring clothes, but there's no way I'm trying them on out on the sidewalk in front of everyone. And I don't really want to have you just pick out like 20 things and have me take it all home and then bring it back. There is a, a not a way to do this well yet, but at the same time, again, sometimes we need other people to protect us from ourselves. So, mm. you know, I understand what they're doing. And, and I think, um, honestly, I think, you know, if we could even be possibly even more aggressive um, on this and actually if we could stop it and say, okay, if we're, if we shut down all transport, everything for two weeks and it would kill it, then we could reopen. That might be way better than two months of kind of open. Earlier this week, I released a show in where we kind of brainstormed on some ways to create an exit strategy. What we're doing right now is to flatten the curve. And, and as everyone probably knows, what we're trying to do is to keep the at-risk population from getting so sick that they overwhelm the medical resources and then people have to be turned away. That's what we don't want to happen. The problem is that the social distancing and the lockdowns and, and the isolations that we're doing right now, we might get to the point that we have very few or zero cases in the Gunnison Valley. But the concern is that then if we say, okay, we're open for business, how long will it be before you know, another case shows up? Without canceling tourism for the next several months, I don't see how we can right. keep it out of the valley. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I it's a very difficult thing to understand. Um, yeah, just because, you know, we say, oh, well, we haven't had a case in, you know, a month or something. But there's parts of the United States that haven't been hit as hard. And maybe they haven't, you know, maybe it goes in a wave and it just spreads itself across the country. And so maybe somebody from Louisiana, just to pick on a state, I don't know why, but they come in July and we, we were back to normal in May, but they're just now starting to be a spreader of it and we start over again. It's going to be a hard thing to manage going forward. I don't know what that's going to look like, you know, but we have to. We have to have something to get us back to being able to do business. Or when I said a few businesses aren't going to make it, I would say a majority of businesses would make it if we don't have summer. Let me throw an idea out to you just so I can hear your reaction to it. I think where we could end up in a return to normalcy policy is kind of a staged undoing of some of the uh, isolation, lockdown practices, the the social distancing, in which we try to isolate vulnerable populations. But at the same time, we allow people to mix more. And as people do get sick and get well again, then we get a, a greater proportion of the populace that has immunity. So the idea might be that we are able to establish who has immunity and who is still at risk 
that might change the behavior of those two groups. Now, what's what I don't like about that is that it could result in us carrying around an immunity card of some sort. And I don't know if it's good to label people that way, but it might allow thing us one to re-engage. Thing two, right? Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't know how you would do that. I mean, because I'm sure there would be somebody making fake uh, immunity cards, you know, just like getting into bars. But, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what we could do. But I, I know that if more testing was available, it would definitely uh, make a lot more people know if they had it or not and it would it would either relieve people that they don't have it and they just have the common cold because i mean right now we have uh i know we have bronchitis and strep throat going through the valley as well well both of those are going to cause people to go i should isolate you know and so they may not even have corona but they you know they are going i'm sick so i need to isolate and because also you don't want to get it when you're in a compromised immunity anyway but you know, so I don't know. I don't know how we go about it, but you're right. How do we figure out this vaccination or the immunity um, after you've gotten it once? You know, that's a, a story that's out there. And some doctors say that's true. Some say it's not, that you can get it again. You know, so it just, we don't really know enough, I don't think, especially not me, because I don't, I don't have any medical background, you know, in the, in the field at all to speak on that. Hmm, right. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Do you have any parting thoughts for us about coronavirus and how people can be encouraged to better weather this season? Just be confident that we will get through this, that this is teaching us how to love our neighbors more. It's teaching us how to, uh, I think, love our planet more. Uh, I think it's also just teaching us the importance of time with our families. Uh, There are some huge benefits that are happening in this. Um, It's not all negative to not focus on the loss of income and those things that are very stressful. Um, Also, to just limit our time in the negative with all the social media and all the uh, news and things like that. Uh, Spend your time focused, especially if you live in a beautiful place like we do, um, out in creation and on the people you love and just focus there and and the time will go faster than we think it will. Um, It seems like it's super slow right now. But uh, just think, it seems like just a couple weeks ago it was Christmas and we're already uh, three months in past it. So that would just be my, my hope is to not focus on the material stuff, but focus on the relationships and the, and the things we love. Mm, good words, Chris. Thanks so much. We appreciate your time today. And thanks for all of your perspectives about the local Gunnison economy and how small businesses across America can do better to weather the coronavirus episode. Thank you for listening in to weathering coronavirus updates and hope this is your host kurt linville and the show is produced by caleb linville be safe out there